What a day. Final day of spring, final day of high school classes, final day of the group stage at the Women's World Cup of Soccer. Any more finals that we can put there? We'll find a few. Earlier today, it was the final minutes of what was the current Doug Ford cabinet because a little shuffling that went on. I always get a little skeptical of shuffling now because a lot of things have happened within the Ontario government that have people saying, hey, hey, we're going to talk about one of those things in about an hour from now, and that is OSAP. But I want to look at something because you may say, ah, OSAP, yes, students, they pile up debt. That's just the thing that there is. One of the things that we're going to talk about is students who have to work while they are at school and the disadvantage that exists And the amount that I really believe the rich kids get the benefits. I really believe that. The rich kids get the benefits. And it's not fair. And it's something that actually should be addressed. That should be looked at by the Doug Ford government, not how to save money on OSAP. So we'll discuss that in an hour from now. But the cabinet shuffle always bothers me at this time because you've got a lot of people saying, ah, that didn't work, making noise. And so then you shuffle in new people and they say, well, you know, I I wasn't on this portfolio. It's new to me. It's It's a new portfolio for me. So I'm not sure what you're talking about. And you move along. It bothers me. And I hope we hear none of that going forward. It is, of course, the final day of spring. So how does summer look? We're going to find that out in a half hour from now. Anthony Farnell, Chief Meteorologist for Global News, is going to join us. We are following very closely what is happening at the Women's World Cup of Soccer. Final day of the group stage. Canada is playing right now. Londoners Jesse Fleming and Shalina Zadorsky are playing right now. And Canada and the Netherlands are into the 49th minute, and they are scoreless. If Canada winds up drawing with the Netherlands, so if they tie, then the Netherlands finishes first in the group, and that means Canada's road through the round of 16 gets a whole lot tougher. So they they need to win this one. And Cameroon and New Zealand are playing. The U.S. will play later. NBA draft comes up tonight. The Toronto Raptors pick 59th. We will look at famous 59th picks in NBA history. In fact, why don't we do that now? We're going to look at famous 59th picks in NBA history. Okay, you ready? Here we go. That's about it. Moving right along, there are no famous 59th picks in NBA history. Daryl Strawberry's son is about as famous as it gets. He was actually taken with the 59th slot. That's where the Toronto Raptors pick tonight. Canadian R.J. Barrett due to go probably third overall. And then later on today, when we finish talking about OSAP, want to look at kids in two other ways. One... Maybe not even kids, but we'll look at young people who have decided to stop using deodorant. And I don't mean there's a group of five that got together and started up an Instagram page. I mean 40% of people saying no to deodorant. Why? What's what's with the... I finish the shower, I get out of the shower, I dry off, I put on the deodorant, I go about my day. That's Isn't that what you do? Well... 40% of young people seem to not want to do that. And we're also going to look at young people in the way that a new study shows 40, or sorry, I wish it was 40-something. A new study shows 74% in the way of an increase in youth vaping in Canada. Not a shocker. Not a shocker at all. I don't know (laughs) what, what people thought was going to happen, but 
it's too easy for kids to get their hands on jewels. It's too easy for kids to get their hands on vape. It's just, it's too easy, period. So lots ahead on the show. But we get to start by meeting a Londoner who has done something absolutely amazing. When was the last time that you decided, you know, this couch that I'm sitting on, it's far too comfortable. I'm just going to get up off the couch and I'm going to go make a difference. Not enough people do that. We like the comfort of our couch. What if I said to you, there was a cyclone. In fact, there were multiple cyclones. And they have ravaged a country like Mozambique. And Mozambique needs some help. Would you sit back, feel that comfort of the couch, feel how spongy it is? Oh, oh, I could just lie down and take a nap. Would you get yourself up off that couch, fly to Mozambique? It's hard to find on a map unless you know where you're looking. Fly to Mozambique and help on the ground. Uh, The answer is usually no. But our next guest, she's different. She did get up. She did go. She did help. She traveled to Mozambique with the Red Cross to help on the ground in the aftermath of cyclones. Please welcome to London Live, Stephanie Murphy. Stephanie, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Mike? Not bad. You make London proud. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about you deciding, because I'm, I'm using the couch as a metaphor, but mm. we have pretty comfortable lives here. Very rarely we do. do we have things where we look and go, oh, this, this just will not work. And if anything, it's one of those first world problems. Ah, oh, a fly has landed in the drink that I just purchased for $7. Oh, I can't believe it. This is, this is a travesty. That's, that's kind of where our life sits sometimes. When you chose to go and help in Mozambique, what prompted you to do that? Um, well, I've been really lucky to work for the Canadian Red Cross for a few years, and I work in communications, and when you work in an office, you hear a lot about the good work we do, both in Canada and around the world, but you don't really get to see it. You don't get to meet the people we're helping very often, so that's one of the reasons I've really liked to be able to get out on a few um, responses in Canada. I responded to BC fires and um, the New Brunswick floods this past spring. Um, and then when the opportunity to do that work internationally came up, um, I've always wanted to work internationally, and um, this seemed like a really great opportunity. Um, and you're right, it does really put our privilege in perspective, um, but it's so rewarding to be able to get out there and see the people we're helping firsthand and see how um, an emergency operation is set up in different places around the world. We've been able to talk to you about BC fires, but this this had to be something that was altogether different. How do you prepare yourself for what you're going to see when you go? Yes, it is very different than responding to disaster in Canada. Um, I'm lucky to have a few colleagues who went in the months prior to when I went. I went about two months into the operation. So I chatted with them about what was going on, um, what what I could expect to see. I also read about Mozambique a bit. Um, Nothing can really prepare you for seeing that kind of damage on the ground um, and meeting people who've been affected by a disaster like that. But um, it helps to kind of know a bit more what you're going into. So what sorts of things did you learn even in doing that research? 
Um, well, I learned that Mozambique has um, quite a young population. Um, they also have a lower life expectancy, um, and they do struggle with poverty. A lot of people struggle with poverty every day. So when you add a natural disaster on top of that, it makes things very difficult. Um, so, and then I learned a bit more about what the Red Cross was doing. Um, the Mozambique Red Cross was on the ground right from the beginning, and then when international help was requested, uh, the Canadian Red Cross, thanks to the support of the Government of Canada, we were able to set up a cholera treatment centre to treat cases of cholera. So I learned a bit more about how the operation had progressed so far. We are talking with Stephanie Murphy, London Zone, travelled to Mozambique with the Red Cross after cyclones had ravaged Mozambique and to help on the ground in the aftermath. How long does the journey to Mozambique take? It's very long. It was about 36 hours and with layovers. Yeah, that, that would be. So where do you go? Do you, do you leave from Toronto? So I left from Ottawa. We generally have briefings here with the team so we can get up to speed on everything. So I flew Ottawa to London Heathrow, London to Johannesburg, and then Johannesburg to Barra. And then it's about a two-hour drive to Namatanda, where the Canadian Red Cross operation is. And once you landed on the ground and started that drive, when did you begin to see, wow, this, uh, this, this, is, this is something real? We, um, you could see a few, um, well, many roofs while you were flying into the airport that were still damaged in Barra, because Barra's right on the coast, so they got a lot of the damage as well. And then there's um, actually quite a good highway between Barra that runs through the country and then into neighboring Zimbabwe, and there's a lot of um, transports that run along it, delivering different items, and that was damaged in a few spots, and it's a newer road. So there was some um, divergence off the road and long lines to wait, um, to get through traffic. So you could see it right away. And as soon as I started talking to people, pretty much everybody I asked, so how did the cyclone affect you? It was damage to their roof, damage to their home. It seemed like nobody really escaped unscathed. And as we think cyclone, sometimes it's difficult to picture that, like a hurricane, but spinning the mm-hmm. other way, is it not? I believe so. A cyclone, they're called cyclones in different parts of the world. So this part of the world are called cyclones, but they are similar to hur- what we would consider a hurricane here in Canada. So, yeah, we're looking at hurricane devastation in Mozambique, which, which is a place that, let's face it, is not always equipped to deal with any kind of disaster like that. So what is your first role when you arrive? So um, for me, when I arrived, um, I'm coming into the operation about two months in. So things have settled um, a little bit. Um, it's more of a routine. So my job is to mainly focus on taking pictures, video, and getting stories to ensure that Canadians back home know where their donation is going, how we're helping. And then some of that content is also shared with the International Red Cross because there are a lot of different different countries' Red Crosses on the ground helping. Um, But for the overall Canadian Red Cross operation, um, we set up a cholera treatment centre as cholera was identified as one of the key concerns after the cyclone. And then later, part of that was transitioned into a malaria treatment centre. There were about 38,000 cases of malaria in Mozambique after the cyclones. Um, And so those two units were... Patients were being treated by local doctors and nurses, and then Red Cross doctors and nurses were mentoring and training them. So you've got doctors that now have more capacity to treat these diseases in the future, which is really great. And how busy were those facilities? Uh, They were very busy at first. The cholera treatment unit in two months treated about 200 patients, 
And in about a month, the malaria treatment center treated about 60 patients. But those were the worst cases. There were cases of malaria being treated in the hospital um, because we set up at Namatanda District Hospital. So it was kind of us on their grounds treating the more severe cases. Um, And when I was there, we actually were able to close both of those units. um, And treatment for cholera and malaria have now been integrated right into the hospital. So we've been able to pass on some equipment we use um, for cholera. Cholera is very contagious. We've worked with um, to ensure that they have the correct sanitation practices. And we'll continue working with the local doctors and nurses to help treat those cases going forward. Um, So it was nice to be able to see the hospital gaining that capacity um, because they were very overwhelmed, obviously, at the beginning with so many cases. Stephanie Murphy with us. London's own Stephanie Murphy. Traveled to Mozambique with the Red Cross, helping in the aftermath of Cyclone Kenneth. Let's talk about some of the people you meet and some of the stories they told you. What did you hear from people who were affected by Cyclone Kenneth? Um, sorry, it was Cyclone a day that I was responding to. Oh, okay, um, sorry. No, that's okay. Cyclone Kenneth was um, in the north of the country, so other Red Crosses was, were working up there. We were just um, in the middle of the country. Gotcha. Um, but... What I heard from a lot of people, as I said, is most people didn't escape without having a roof damaged or something like that. Uh, there were three young people who, siblings, who were actually working at our hospital in different capacities. One was an administrator, one was a cleaner, and one was a translator. And their mother's house had been almost completely destroyed. And so the three of them got jobs at the Red Cross Hospital so they could help pay to rebuild her house. Um, and I also met, I had the opportunity to speak with the last cholera, tra- cholera patient that we discharged um, right before I left. Her name was Sebastiana, and she was 10. And um, she'd been in the center for about three days being treated. Her case was very severe. And it was one of those really incredible moments. Um, I'd struggled a bit with the language barrier. It can be difficult with translators trying to hear someone's story. And it was just this incredible moment where her mother didn't speak English and I didn't speak Portuguese. But you could kind of understand what the other was saying. And she just kind of lit up when she was talking about how happy she was that her daughter was feeling better. And she gave me a big hug after. Um, And it's moments like that that kind of make it all worth it when you can see firsthand how we're helping. And um, it's also really great to, I got to spend some time in the labor and delivery ward where um, we're kind of working with the nurses and midwives to improve outcomes. And just to, and talk about some of the training that they're doing and knowing that this little, the three or four, however long will be their months of training is going to have such a long-term impact on the lives of babies and mothers when they're born. It's really great to know that even after the Red Cross is gone, they'll still have hopefully some of the knowledge and skills that we've left behind. Stephanie, what made you want to get into this line of work? Well, um, my grandmother actually worked for or volunteered with the Red Cross for many years. So I was exposed to it when I was younger. And I've always been interested, as I said, in international work. And so when I finished um, my program in communications, there was an internship at the Red Cross. And so I jumped at the chance. And I've been there ever since. And I've been doing a lot of work from here in Canada on our international work. So engaging the Canadian public in it. And so I've learned a lot about it. So it was a really great opportunity to be able to be in the field and see it firsthand. Um, And it was my first international mission, but um, it was a really great experience. I'm very lucky to be able to go and help people like this and to have the privilege of living in a country where we can give a bit back to other people. Well said. What is it like to leave after you've been there for a little while? 
it's tough. It's, it's very intense. I kind of compare it to summer camp where you get really close to the people you're working with because you spend all your time with them. And so it can be tough to leave them behind, um, especially some of the translators and the local staff that I'd gotten to know. Um, it, it was tough, and it's tough to know that you're going back to your very, very privileged life and you're leaving behind people that are struggling. But it's good to know that the Red Cross is invested in long-term recovery. So we're not just treating the emergency cases and leaving. So there is going to be um, support and building capacity locally in the months to come. So that kind of helps, but it is tough to go back for sure. Well, thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for taking some time out to talk with us today. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. That is Stephanie Murphy, somebody who decided, as she says, her grandmother used to be a part of the Red Cross, wanted to do it, had to go to Mozambique after a cyclone had ripped through You lose your roof, you lose your belongings, and then all of a sudden, what do you get? You get outbreaks of things like cholera and other diseases. Happens really fast. And without any kind of help, well, you have a lot of people in a pretty tough spot. So Stephanie made her way to Mozambique 36 hours later on the ground and spent a whole lot of time there helping out. We are going to take a break. We will update you on how Canada is doing against the Netherlands as we get back to those old first world problems. Canada taking on the Netherlands in women's soccer today. Two Londoners, Jesse Fleming and Shalina Zadorsky, on the pitch right now. And Canada does need a victory to clinch first place in their group. Even though they came into this match at 2-0, and and even though the Netherlands is 2-0, and they need a victory because the Netherlands just happened to score one more goal than Canada did in the group stage in the round robin. So we'll let you know what's happening there, and we'll let you know what's still ahead on London Live. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. All right, we have a score in the match between Canada and the Netherlands. The Netherlands struck first in the 54th minute, but, but, six minutes later, Christine Sinclair got one goal closer to becoming the leader all-time in women's international soccer in goals. She's now two goals away from Abby Wambach, and what that has done is it has tied the match 1-1. So Canada and the Netherlands 1-1, and they are currently in the 68th minute. And Canada will be looking to beat the Netherlands in order to advance. They've already advanced to the knockout stage, so... The way that the Women's World Cup of Soccer works, you have 24 teams, 24 countries take part, and they whittle that down to 16, and then it's just single elimination the rest of the way. So Canada has already advanced. They're guaranteed to be first or second in their group. The key is having that easier road through the round of 16, and you can go ahead and say, hey, you've got to play everybody, you've got to beat everybody. Okay, that's fine. If you can avoid playing the United States for a while, they're a very, very good team. Not a bad idea to do it. If Canada is second in their group, they will have to play the United States a whole lot earlier. If they are first, they can avoid playing the United States until later. So that's kind of how that goes. We cannot put off the start of summer. And as much as 
we still haven't even really seen any glimpses of it yet. We're going to talk about what summer may hold for us, and we are going to talk certainly about this weekend's forecast. Anthony Farnell is due to join us in a little over 10 minutes from now. He's the chief meteorologist for Global News. And then we're going to also look at OSAP in less than an hour from now. And Here's the way that I want to look at it. Not, hey, look, the Ontario government has made changes to OSAP because they did that back in January. And now we're starting to see this become a topic again because students are able to plug in all of their numbers into the OSAP calculator. And when you go through it, you have to say, okay, this is what I'm taking. This is where I'm going to school. This is how much money my parents make. This is how much money I have right now. And the government has every right to check up on all of those details. And then you put it through that calculator and you hit a button and it will say, okay, well, you can have this much in loan money. You can have this much in grant money. And for a lot of students, that is making it through school or not making it through school. We know that student debt is a big issue. We can certainly focus in on some of those things, and and we'll talk with the Canadian Federation of Students about a couple of those things. But I want to talk about the gap between rich and poor as it pertains to post-secondary education and how I believe there is a real gap and there is a real disadvantage for someone who is not wealthy in getting through school and it's not just well they don't come through with any debt at the end it's more than that while they are in school so we'll touch on that as well canada and the netherlands now have reached the 70th minute and they sit tied 1-1 in the final group stage for both sides at the women's world cup of soccer news is on the way next we'll get you caught up on the doug ford cabinet shuffle and all of the other stories that you need to know about and then we will continue it's thursday it's london live and you're listening to global news radio 980 cfpl There is a a big discussion going on right now. We've talked about it before on London Live. Oh, by the way, there's been an update. The Netherlands has scored again. They lead Canada 2-1 now in the 77th minute. Remember, soccer matches are 90 minutes. Canada needs to win this match or they will wind up just having a tougher road because they'll kind of be a a number two seed going into the round of 16. Some number one seeds go through, number two seeds, and a smattering, four of them, of number three seeds in each group. So Canada needs to win this match in order to finish ahead of the Netherlands in the standings because soccer kind of gets particular in the way that they break ties. It's goal differential, then goals for, and then what they call conduct So whoever has fewer yellow cards, whoever has committed fewer fouls, that actually becomes a tiebreaker. And eventually, soccer doesn't mess around. They don't say, okay, we we can't do this. They get to drawing lots. I'm holding two sticks in my hand. Which one is the longer stick? If you can pick it, you move on. Uh, that's, That's not exactly how it goes, but they will do the drawing of lots. Right now, Netherlands 2, Canada 1, and they're getting into the late stages of the second half in their match. But, as we mentioned, speed limit's certainly a thing that has been discussed, and what to do with residential speed limits and other forms of speed limits. There is 
a survey right now that you can go to. And I'm going to give you an email address, and I hate giving out long email addresses. Government websites, I don't know how they haven't snapped into this. I really don't. And I'm not faulting London because Londons aren't too bad. But Ontario or God help you if you have to go to some federal website, yeah, you can Google it. And you hope that you come up with the right page and you can kind of bang around and click around and find it. But why they don't make things just a, a little bit easier. .on.ca, that's too long. Get, get rid of that. Just figure out a way to not have that. Ontario, seriously. And as far as this website goes, I'm going to give it to you. And you can head there and fill out a quick survey on speed limits. If you would like to see speed limits reduced... In residential areas. So right now, you can drive 50K an hour through a neighborhood. And I've always thought that's insane. It really is. You know how fast 50K an hour is? You know how many three-year-olds like to play on the sidewalk? That's a bad combo. I don't know why we don't have more tragedies. I'm happy that we don't, but seriously. So here's where you go to fill out that survey. London.ca slash residential dash speeds. London.ca slash residential dash speeds. Too long. You can actually Google it as well. You know what I'll do? I'll put it on my Twitter feed, and you can look it up from there. So you can find me on Twitter at Stubbs980. We have had a pretty crummy spring. It's been pretty wet. In a moment, we're going to find out what summer looks like because it arrives tomorrow. Is it going to get better? How far into the future can we actually see? Well, we will talk with Anthony Farnell, the chief meteorologist for Global News, when London Live continues. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. When you talk about the weather, which is Canadians, it's, it's just a part of our fabric? Can't go through a day without talking about the weather. The Raptors have helped out for a little while. People have been able to talk about the Raptors ahead of the weather, but you still get to the weather. When you ask about the weather, when you talk about the weather, you get a, eh, hasn't been a good spring. Eh, it's been wet. Look at farmers, what they have been dealing with. It's been awful for them in terms of how wet it's been. But there's always hope on the horizon. We go through seasons in this country, and tomorrow... Tomorrow brings one of our favorites. The summer arrives, and it arrives sometime around lunchtime, so plan to get outside. Joining us right now is Anthony Farnell, Chief Meteorologist for Global News. Anthony, how are you doing? I am doing okay, and uh, I'm coming out of Witness Protection Program with the, with the winter and then summer. People have been complaining a lot, and uh, rightfully so. It has been definitely cool and wet, but uh, I do think as summer now is upon us, uh, we're going to turn the corner uh, over the next couple of weeks for sure. Okay, take us behind the scenes of being a meteorologist. If people can get in touch with you, I mean, if, if they happen to be able to DM you, if they happen to be able to email you, if they happen to find a phone number for you, will they use it to complain about your forecast? <laughs> well, I get less snail mail, less written mail, although I still do occasionally get letters. I do get a lot with, uh, of course, social media and, and being on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Y- you tend to get uh, a couple of groups of people. Never anybody saying, good job, you nailed that one, but uh, you get the the wedding forecast, especially with summer. Every weekend, so valuable. You have the mom's reaching out to me wondering if August 
22nd is going to be a beautiful day. And <laughs> it's, of course, tough to answer. And then you also have, have those that just want to hate. And uh, that's always fun to deal with as well. Well, let's look at tomorrow. Summer does arrive. You said at the outset you're feeling okay. Is that because of what the forecast is holding for the summer? Yeah, and it all uh, gets going. Finally, we're starting to see at least days in the 20s repeatedly. Uh, time and time again, we've been one day above 20 and then back into the teens with rain. So we're finally starting to see a string of two, three, even four days where it doesn't rain. And then we get a day like today where we've had showers and there's more on the way. So uh, we're not getting there completely, and we don't want to end up with a drought. But uh, you mentioned farmers. They've been concerned. They've been trying to get their crops and, and haying. And uh, what we're going to see now is uh, just a beautiful first weekend of summer, and then we get some instability. We go back to showers for a couple days, but humidity is also going to be going up, and uh, that's going to set the stage for what I think is uh, some great weather heading through uh, the first Real long weekend of the summer. Now, when you say great, does hot factor in? We get used to humidity in and around southwestern Ontario. Some people actually crave it. Uh, Where do you see that coming? Yeah, I see more humidity this summer than I do lengthy heat waves, and uh, that has a lot to do with the amount of rain we've seen. The groundwater or the the water tables are up everywhere. If you just look at the Great Lakes themselves, we're at record levels now on all five of the Great Lakes, and uh, that's just uh, incredible to see, and it's a byproduct of the snowy winter and now wet spring. Uh, But that water temperature has also been rather cool, and it's a moderating effect, so it's kind of a chicken and egg situation what came first was it the cold spring and and then the water is cold because of that or is now the cold water actually keeping the temperatures down around here and i think it's a a mixture of the two and as that water temperature warms up we're going to see a lot of uh, very mild nights especially but those 30 degree days i don't think we're going to see nearly as many as we had uh, last year where at this time or i remember canada day weekend canada day was just incredibly hot with a humidex over 40. We're talking with Anthony Farnell, Chief Meteorologist for Global News. We're looking ahead of the summer forecast. So if you had to summarize what you see, and again, we're not going to ask you to pinpoint August 22nd to 2 p.m. so that we know what's going on then, but overall in the models that you're looking at in terms of what we're going to get this summer, how would you categorize it? Well, I think seasonal is is what I would say, and and that is saying something. Six of the last eight months across southern Ontario have been below average when it comes to temperatures, so a seasonal summer is actually pretty good. Typically, in July, we're up at 27, 28 degrees every day. Once you go above normal, you start talking 30s, and that's where you start losing some people when it comes to uh, enjoying themselves outdoors. So, uh, yeah, seasonal temperatures, I think it's going to be tough to get away from this wet pattern we're in and uh, there will be uh, quite a few afternoon storms starting next week and and then heading through July. Uh, One thing I know a lot of people saying okay we we really haven't had a, a spring and early summer is it going to extend this year like we've seen in past years? I think so. I think September and even October will stay quite warm around the region. So uh, all is not lost. You're still going to get a, a nice stretch of weather, and uh, we need that here in Canada. Absolutely. Hoping for a happy Halloween, then. We can look that far ahead. Anthony, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, happy arrival of summer, and thank you for the work you do. Oh, yes, and I'm sure everybody's going to be just having a solstice party on a Friday afternoon, ready for the weekend. (laughs) Well, I hope you are.
I, I, I always do. I, I'm getting my balloons right now. Great. Take care of yourself. <laughs> Take care, Mike. That's Anthony Farnell, Chief Meteorologist for Global News. We do need more things to celebrate, don't we? Of course we don't. We have too many now. But yeah, solstice party? You wouldn't want to have a winter solstice party. You couldn't do that. Hey, everybody want to get together and uh, celebrate the shortest day of the year? Come on. who uh, Who's in? Can you... You, uh, you bring the Cheetos. I'll, uh, I'll bring the flashlights. Tomorrow is a little bit different because it is the longest day of the year as far as light goes. And Anthony says a seasonal summer. So that's not bad. You know, we don't want to hear it's going to be the hottest summer on record, do we? That's where you get a lot of good beer commercials. But no, no, you, you don't really want it to be the hottest summer on record. Not after the wettest spring. But as Anthony says, we will probably see some humidity, so it makes it feel a little warmer because of all the water that we have and the groundwater that we have that stands to still evaporate. So a little bit of that, but overall seasonal, not necessarily into the, whew, it's going to be 33 and it's going to be 49 with the Humidex. No, we don't, we don't want that, right? We're, uh, we're okay with high 20s, feeling into the 30s. You good with that? That seems to be where we're sitting, at least getting started. But does look like we're going to get a very nice weekend. And then that holiday weekend comes up in a week, and it looks pretty good, too, according to Chief Meteorologist for Global News, Anthony Farnell. We'll check in on Canada when we return. Canada needing a win against the Netherlands, and they're down 2-1 right now. We'll update you on what that could mean at the Women's World Cup of Soccer, plus... Some, t- some statistics from a study done about deodorant, and it's not done by Old Spice or any of those deodorant companies, but it's asking young people about deodorant. And you might be really surprised to find out what the study says. I am. I don't get it. We'll talk about it next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. All right, Canada is now but a minute and a half away from not getting what they need to out of their match against the Netherlands. All is not lost yet, but they basically need two goals in the last minute and a half. And what's that going to mean? That would mean that they are able to avoid an earlier matchup with the United States. The way that it could work out, the United States and Canada could actually meet in a quarterfinal match or a semifinal match. I don't know. Do, do you like putting things off? Do you enjoy saying, eh, I don't know, sweep the kitchen later, rake the leaves tomorrow? Is that you? Because if it is, well, then that's what you want. You want to put off meeting the United States until the semis, but you may want to say, nah, get it over with. We'll do it in the quarters. So we'll see what happens. Canada standing to finish second in their group at the Women's World Cup of Soccer. They're now into what is expected to be the final minute of injury time. And Canada has been putting on a lot of pressure, but unfortunately has not been able to score. So we'll keep you updated on that. Wanted to talk about a new study. It comes from something called YouGov, which is a company that asks questions and gets survey results, for lack of a better description. And here's what they've done. They've talked to the millennials. We were talking a lot about millennials yesterday and their management of money. 
They've also talked to Gen Zers. I think they're a little younger than millennials, right? Millennials, then the Gen Zers. Where do you go after Generation Z or Z? I don't know. That's not my problem. But what they have found is that 40% of people in those two categories, so let's say 18 to 34 years of age, are not using deodorant. Doesn't that sound like a surprise to you? Not using deodorant. Now, they're, they're very good when it comes to hygiene. You know, I happen to live with a couple of teenagers. Our water bill will definitely give you the nod that they are clean individuals. They are in the water a fair amount. I wake up in the morning, I shower. I work out, I shower. I do something at night, I shower. Right before bed, a little bit of a shower. Actually, you know, while we're talking about luxuries that we have, is there anything better than should we get one of those hot summer nights getting in a cold shower for 30 seconds right before you go to bed? 30 that's all you need. Maybe even less. 15 seconds. Make it really cold, get in there, and then go to bed. You will fall asleep like that. Otherwise, you get into bed and you're all hot, you can't fall asleep. Do the little shower trick. The teenagers do it, so they're showering fine, but they're not using deodorant. And a lot of it deals with concerns over chemicals in the deodorant. So they will rely on baking soda. They say that deodorant uh, with baking soda in it uh, is, is, of course, plant-based no chemicals, and they'll they'll look for those things. So it becomes a, a kind of a chemical thing. I don't know. If, if you didn't use deodorant once a day, would going from having a shower in the morning to getting home at night, maybe when you're just around your family and they don't, they don't care what you smell like, would that be enough? Is this not surprising to you? 40%? And it's not like they're saving big bucks on deodorant. You know, it's not as cheap as it used to be. Nothing is. But there's always one on sale. And it's not like a stick of deodorant runs out after three days. That's How many sticks of deodorant would you use seriously in a year? Five? Six? That would have to be a max. For sure they last at least two months. Guaranteed. If you are going through more than six deodorant sticks in a month, or in a year, you're using too much. You don't need to put it behind your knees. It's okay. You know, dogs will follow you around that way. Leave, leave that alone. Don't let that happen. So 40% of 18 to 34-year-olds are saying they do not use deodorant once a day. So that's, that's the latest shocking study that we have come across. Do you have any ideas as to why? I mean, is it just we're we're old fuddy duddies and we just we were given the old okay, well here's what you do. You wash behind your ears and then you towel dry and you put on your deodorant and you floss your teeth and you put on your little pants and shirt and away you go to work. Goodbye. Is that the problem? We've just been brought up this way. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me anytime at Stubbs980, or you can always give us a call. Phone lines are open, 519-643-2222. If you want to weigh in on anything, we're going to talk OSAP when we return. And I have a new theory, and maybe it's not even a new theory, but 
we always know that there is a gap between rich and poor or a gap between the very rich and everybody else, right? Well, I'm looking at that as it pertains to post-secondary education. And I think people who are wealthy are getting a very distinct advantage that they do not deserve. And we'll talk about that. Mike, before we close out, what do you have on your mind? Hey, sub. Hey. Uh, so I'm 25, ne- never used deodorant. Haven't for probably the past eight years. You've never used deodorant. Okay, so why didn't you start? Well, no, I, I used to when I was a teenager. Okay. Uh, but I guess I got I got uh, started dating when I was 18. I didn't really smell that bad. My girlfriend didn't care. I married her when I was 20. She still doesn't care. I shower once a day right when I get home. So I don't really, uh, I don't notice it. I haven't had anybody tell me that I smell bad. And it's not healthy for you. So I never, never really bothered. Really? And this is not concerning you in any way? And you, this is, you plan to live life the rest of the way just like you're doing now? Yeah, the only time that I would uh, maybe want to put deodorant on before going out is before going to church. But then we got people of, uh, who are sensitive to smell or yeah. to a strong scent. So I'd rather just shower ahead of time and then you smell like soap, you're good to go. And is, is there any reason that you, you don't want to use it? I mean, does it deal with the chemicals or anything like that that your skin could be well, absorbing? Yeah, it's, it's not healthy for you. Like, it plugs up your pores, and uh, it's just in general not, not good for you. Though showering all the time is not either. I think they suggest three or four times a week. Hmm. Well, otherwise it takes all the oil off your skin. Mike, I'm glad we could speak with someone who has been through this on a personal level. Thanks for the call. <laughs> Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. You too. Maybe it's worth trying. I mean, we don't know what all these chemicals that we're absorbing are all about. We just get treated to the really great deodorant commercials. That's why I wear the deodorant I do. I like the Old Spice commercials. Maybe i got to rethink this. News is on the way next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, so here's the way it works at the Women's World Cup of Soccer. Canada is going to face either Sweden or the United States. In the round of 16, that's like saying, hi, we'd like to offer you this delicious rock or this delicious mound of dirt for dinner. That's kind of what that's like. Sweden and the United States will actually face each other at three o'clock today. And so we'll find out exactly who Canada faces when that match is over and done with. We happen to have an opportunity for you to do some more winning today because tickets to go and see Michelle Obama, she's coming to Hamilton in October, went on sale this morning at 10 a.m. And we happen to have an opportunity for you to win tickets to go and see an intimate evening with Michelle Obama. All you have to do is answer a skill-testing question correctly. Now, you have to be the first one to do it in order to win the tickets, but she's coming to the first Ontario Centre in Hamilton on Friday, October 11th, an evening with former First Lady Michelle Obama. And if you would like to be there, then we have a skill-testing question ready to go. Are you ready for this? Phone lines are open at 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. First right answer by phone takes home the tickets. 
According to uselessdaily.com, that's where the crack staff rounded up all of the information on this. So it's it's uselessdaily.com. We have to credit them. According to them, when Michelle Obama was a child, she played what musical instrument? Was it A, the violin? Was it B, the piano? Or was it C, the piccolo? Does anybody even play piccolo anymore? Did anyone ever? 519-643-2222. If you know the right answer, and you can get through on the phone lines, you could be off to see Michelle Obama on Friday, October 11th at 7 o'clock at the First Ontario Centre in Hamilton. So again, according to uselessdaily.com, when Michelle Obama was a child, she played what musical instrument? The violin, the piano, or the piccolo? So, you can kind of think through that. We'll look for a right answer. Kelly's dealing with that right now. And then we will let you know who the lucky winner is being. If you would like to go and you do not win tickets, then all you have to do is go to Ticketmaster.ca and you can purchase your tickets through them. So Ticketmaster.ca in October. Michelle Obama coming to Hamilton. Coming up, we're going to talk OSAP. We are also going to talk vaping, youth vaping, and we might have to get back into deodorant. I mean, we've talked a lot about young people recently. I still believe our world is going to be in fantastic shape when all of the young people who rise to the top and become the cream of the crop, when they take over. I honestly believe that's going to happen. But no deodorant surprises me. 40% in a new survey. And then Mike just called and said, yeah, he hasn't worn deodorant since he was about 17 years old. Started dating. Married the woman he was dating. She doesn't mind. He doesn't mind. He showers regularly. Everything works out just fine. So that one I didn't get. And now vaping has always been a thing that I think we've made too easy and too attractive for kids. You don't need Joe Camel advertising in order to entice kids to vape. So we'll talk about a study that shows 74% in the way of an increase in youth vaping in Canada. Okay, let's hit the phones. I believe we have a right answer. The question is this. According to uselessdaily.com, when Michelle Obama was a child, she played what musical instrument? William, do you know? I do. Okay, fire away. I'm going to go with the piano. You are going to go with the right answer, and you are going to see Michelle Obama in Hamilton. Right on. Thanks a lot, Mike. Well done. Hang on. We'll get some information from you. The piano is exactly right. And according to our good friends at UselessDaily.com, she enjoyed playing the piano so much that she would actually have to be stopped. Normally it's, hey, have you practiced? No. All right. You better get through before your lesson. Come on. She enjoyed playing it so much, she had to be stopped. We have two more tickets to give away. We'll do that before the end of this half hour. But I want to jump into something right now. And that something is OSAP. Because back in January, we had the announcement from the Doug Ford government that, yes, there were going to be changes. Yes, there were going to be cutbacks. And this was just another one of the ream of things. And the jury is still out. I want to wait and see what all of these cuts ultimately will mean in Ontario. Because the Liberals were overspending and spending poorly, and I don't think it takes much to agree on that. So the jury is still out. I'm not knocking the Doug Ford government for this. But 
we get an opportunity to talk with the Canadian Federation of Students about this. And then I want to look at one aspect that I think really gives an advantage to wealthy students. And I think it's an unfair advantage when it comes to post-secondary education. So we'll deal with that in a minute. But right now we have an opportunity to talk with Felipe Nagata from the Canadian Federation of Students because a lot of students have been plugging in their numbers to see what they can get. And those numbers have not been coming back with very good results. Felipe, thanks for joining us on London Live. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Mike? Not bad, but I'm not a student right now, and I'm not plugging numbers into OSAP and hitting a button to see what would come up, because that seems to not be going as well as some students thought. When this was first announced, if we go back some months, this was something that was very concerning to the Canadian Federation of Students. Can you go back to what some of your concerns were at that point? A hundred percent. So back in around January, this government has they did announce uh, certain cuts to grants um, in terms of the OSAP program. And it, it was very scary for us because after a long time, we started seeing uh, more and more details come out and things like the Ontario Student Grants, who, even though it was advertised as free tuition, but it's not actually free tuition, uh, was helping cover a lot of uh, the student debt that we had in this province, right? Um, and so now, just yesterday, students were able to see uh, how much OSAP they're getting to cover for their education. And students were very alarmed about the amount of loans that they were having to take on and the more debt they're going to have to take on to afford education. And a lot of students were also very, very upset about uh, the fact that they're unable to cover their tuition fully. Uh, we've seen some 80% reductions onto certain people's OSAP, which is very, very scary for everybody. Now, when you don't deal with OSAP on a regular basis, you may think about OSAP as being a loan program because we hear so much about student debt. You mentioned the word grants. How yes. How kind of common were OSAP, not loans, but OSAP grants or OSAP grant money? So OSAP actually has a system of grants, and it's a merge of grants and loans that students get. And the Federation has also been an advocate for uh, more grants and not loans, because we recognize that student debt can be very harmful in the long, long run, not only for students, but also for the economy of this province, right? Um, having more debt just means that you're unable to afford a home or you're unable to invest in the economy the way they're supposed to after you graduate. And so for us, it's always about having a free and accessible post-secondary education for everybody, including international students. So just when it, when a government is just investing on more loans and more and more loans, it, it's just very harmful for everybody, and it's something that we really don't don't want to um, we don't want to get to that point. Pretty much, we're talking with Felipe Nagata, who's the chairperson of the Canadian Federation of Students Ontario. Now that students have been able to plug in the numbers, because and maybe we need to go through this. You go online and you kind of put in various numbers, what your parents make, uh, different little things about your own income streams, that sort of thing, and then you hit a button, and then that kind of pops out a number. Typically, what does that number mean? That number, uh, and you're talking about the OSAP calculator, that number is pretty much an estimate of what students can get. Um, They add their information and they put everything, and there's like a, a, a number that pops up. And because the government has changed the criteria, uh, they have uh, changed the amount uh, that that number was supposed to be, and that's why it has been so shocking for students because they're getting a lot less. And 
On that note as well, this change in criteria, it delayed the OSAP process that usually happens in early uh, May, um, and he postponed it to late May, and then resulting in postponing the results that students get to now. And this has been causing a lot of anxiety on to like the student population because a lot of people are very uncertain about the money that they're going to get. And now we've seen that we're two months away from school starting, and there's a lot of students that are left with this huge problem, which is, am I going to be able to afford my education? And folks are very scared because they're going to have to take on more jobs or uh, move back to your parents' house. And it's just changing that plan that students had throughout the summer to afford their school. Yeah, and you make a great point that the fact that this has been pushed ahead, that students finished yes. their year essentially at the end of April, and you want to be able to look at next year and say, okay, am I going to be able to afford to go back for whatever it is you're doing? And then all of a sudden it's pushed and it's pushed, and here we are now midway through June, kind of latter half of June, and now is when students are finding out about this. Yes. And it's just, like I said, it's, it's very it's problematic in so many ways because we make plans to start in September. So uh, people take uh, jobs over the summer, full-time jobs, maybe three, four jobs to uh, save up for the year, right? Because students um, are very busy throughout the year. We're still working. We're still trying to make money. At the same time, we're going to classes, we're writing assignments, and we're doing so many things. We're community long hours. So just pushing everything back to a very uncertain period of time where you don't know how to make those decisions because you don't know how much money and support you're going to get from the government. And then finding out that you're not getting the support you expected is just very upsetting for everybody. Felipe, I'm sure we have people listening saying, well, you know, families should have prepared better. They should have saved more for the education for their children. What would you say to those people who who have that attitude? I think that it's um, an attitude that can be very harmful. Like, a lot of families do not have the capacity to be helping their their uh, kids go into to the school system. Uh, a lot of marginalized communities do not have the capacity, and they heavily depend on um, this OSAP program and many other like grant systems uh, to be able to afford um, schooling. So it's just a very harmful way of thinking, where folks think that um, education is accessible for everybody, when in fact it's not. It is a very expensive system. Uh, oftentimes, you have to pay high rents. You have to pay um, a very expensive, uh, even food. Everything's so expensive in this province. So uh, there's so many barriers to access education, and we got to be thinking about those barriers in order to have a better society overall. We're talking with Felipe Nagata, who is the chair of the Canadian Federation of Students Ontario. And Felipe, just one more thing on this, and maybe it's, it goes to the student experience. You were talking about the jobs that students have to have sometimes just to continue to afford to go to school, but then you look at the job that school actually is itself. If you're talking about people who are trying to maintain an 80 average to remain in a program or trying to get incredibly high marks to get into a graduate program or or to apply to law school, medical school, what does it mean for someone who's having to work a job and then still try and do all of that? And, you know, Mike, it's oftentimes maybe not just one job. Some people take two jobs, three jobs, and it's taking a toll on students' mental health. We've seen an increase on mental health illnesses across the board for students in Ontario, in Canada, in North America, because money is a barrier. Uh, Then you have your... 
a high standards of education that you need to get. You need to be getting those 80s. You need to be seeking for that 4.0 to get into uh, grad, grad school or medical school or law school. So it's just a lot of pressure. It's, it's been a lot of pressure. It has been very harmful for students' mental health. And you've seen a lot of people dropping out of school. You've seen a lot of people uh, not being able to afford school. And it, when the government is not on our side and helping students through this, it's just not good for anybody, you know? Like, uh, we've seen so much support for education lately, and budgets are really about priorities. So if there's cuts across the board into education and people are complaining about them, um, it can be very frustrating when the government is not listening. And we've seen some priorities from this government, like buck a year or horseback riding, that we should not be seeing if people are complaining about the cuts they're making. We should be making sure that they're listening to the voices of the people and they're helping students because... The, this um, student base is what's going to be aiding the economy in the long run. Felipe, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you for the opportunity to speak as well. Felipe Nagana, you're very welcome. Felipe is with the Canadian Federation of Students. He's the chair of the Canadian Federation of Students Ontario. So, what do we have there? Here's what I believe. We have... A, a real difficult spot for some students to be in because we're looking at less grant money and you can say, yeah, well, students rack up debt. How would you like to be somebody coming out of school with a great deal of debt, trying to get a job that helps you pay down that debt and then trying to make your way in a more and more expensive world today because the manufacturers of everything have decided, well, let's make sure that the bottom line is as great as we can make it. So here's my concern over what is taking place and why I believe there is a decided advantage for the wealthy when it comes to post-secondary education. You just heard from Felipe. You've got people who are taking a part-time job during the school year or two part-time jobs or three part-time jobs. If you are going to go to post-secondary, if you're going to take a college course, it is very intensive. It's usually two years, very intensive. If you are going to take a university course, it can be three, four, five years, and it's just as intensive. If you want to go into a general arts program or something like that, maybe you could say it's less intensive. But if you are hoping to get to a grad program, if you are hoping to continue in a specialized program without getting the boot, you've got to achieve an 80 average. If you want to get into a grad school, you've got to achieve an even higher average, and you've got to maintain that average. If you do not have to work, then you have a decided advantage. Now, you could say, ah, uh, silver spoon-fed people don't know how to work. Yeah, well, some of them don't, but some of them do, and some of them are getting those advantages. Meanwhile, if you're taking on a job, you are compromising the amount of time you have to study and prepare assignments. But you have to do it in order to stay there. That's a broken system. That's an awful system. And welcome to it, that's our system. And the Doug Ford government is not helping in that way. That's what you should be looking at. That's what you should be pointing at. You should look and say, okay, if we have somebody who maybe doesn't have the financial resources of someone else, then we should be doing what we can to help them out. Don't you want to get the best of the best? I don't know about you. When I'm sick, I like knowing that we have the best of the best in healthcare. 
I want to find somebody who's going to be able to figure out what my problem is and then fix it. That's what I want to know. You need the best of the best to do that. What if some of the best of the best, and this has happened before, what if they're not able to get through because they couldn't prove how best of the best they were because they had to work two jobs just to make it through. And now they're doing something lesser, whereas someone who maybe is unqualified but good at school, or I guess qualified but but did so because they're good at school, maybe maybe they're not the best of the best, but they were able to ace that test. Maybe they just slide on through. Maybe they, they're able to get that spot because they didn't have the added responsibility. Is that fair? Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. Bob, what do you think? Is it fair? Well, number one, Mike, life's not fair. Number two, never, ever, ever, especially young people, rely on the government to get you to where you want to be in life because you will be greatly disappointed. Okay, those are the two rules that actually I've learned over time. But I was born by that uh, by my parents, anyways. Uh, you know. Getting a student loan and working, that's part of life when you want to go and get educated. Sometimes your parents can help you out, sometimes they can't. Every household's different. Um, I had, I got three college educations and an apprenticeship through my lifetime. And um, I was helped through the first one by my parents, but although I, I did work and supported some of that cost, the second and third time I'm on my own. Because they said, well, hey, we pay for it once, then, you know, that's fine and that's fair. So, second time around, like a lot of other people, you've got to work and you go when you have the money and minimize your student loan as much as you possibly can. So, I apply for student loans as well. I think the, the last time, the last loan I paid off by the time I was done, uh, my three year program was uh, 11 grand, which isn't too bad. And I got a decent job after, you know, and paid it off fairly quickly. But but that's that's really of life. So don't count on the government for those programs to always be there. Especially, but don't you think you know, they should help out? Don't you think we should look at the system and instead of clawing back that money and making it easier for the wealthy and harder for the people who don't have those financial resources? Don't you think we should be doing that? Well, no, I, I agree with you, Mike. Uh, but uh, no, I agree with you 100. Uh, percent But what my point is is we're a socialist country. And the money starts running out, and those are the signs, first signs of a of a socialist, um, you know, system kind of failing. And you see it in the healthcare, and you're going to see it with the student loans because the money's not there. You can't just keep distributing money to people. It doesn't work. Never has. Never will. Socialism doesn't work. Venezuela, perfect example of that right now, right? Sure. Time. Oh, hey, I'm yeah. I'm with you. I mean, Marxism yeah. sounds like a good idea until you try and get people involved, <laughs> and then yeah. it doesn't work. Bob, we got to run for news. Thanks so much for the call. All right, Mike, take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. 519 Darren, we've got about 60 seconds, but they're all yours. Hey, Mike, I've got a daughter going into university coming uh, this fall. From two weeks old, we, we started as, as parents putting money away. We went through, my wife and I went through job losses through the recession in 2008. It's got to be a disciplinary action like the other uh, caller just said. Don't rely on the government. Do what you got to do. Adjust your means to your lifestyle that is presented to you. Help your kids out as much as you can, but also look at different avenues. There's co-ops out there where kids can put themselves through school without getting OSAP. 
So let's not point the finger at Doug Ford so much. Let's point the finger at ourselves and help ourselves as well, too, there. Darren, thanks, thanks for the call. Well said. And maybe that maybe that is is right. I'm looking at it from a wealthy versus not-so-wealthy point of view, that you do have the privileged, but we've always had the privileged. And, hey, if if I can give you any kind of advice, Darren just gave it to you. If you have a child, if you start up an RESP, that is an absolute gold mine when they do go away to school. It is a necessity. You've got to have, what do you hear about retirement usually? You have to have a number of streams contributing. Same sort of thing when it comes to post-secondary education. And if one of those streams can be savings that you have been building up and contributing to, and you've had government dollars contributed to since your child was very young, that's a big help. So, have a child, start an RESP. Should be hand in hand. Let's take a break. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Welcome back to London Live. We have had a bit of a technical glitch, so engineers are working on that. We'll solve that. We have a number of things to get to, including another opportunity for you to win tickets to go and see Michelle Obama in Hamilton in October. We have two more tickets, and we'll give those away before the end of the show. Promise. If you missed it earlier, Canada was beaten by the Netherlands. Canada will face the loser, believe it or not, of the U.S.-Sweden match today that begins at three o'clock we are also going to be talking about a study that shows a 74 percent increase in youth vaping in canada not sure what people were thinking about with all of this but vaping has become incredibly popular among high school college university students and so we'll look into that but there's another story brewing that really needs paying attention to jeff passan who's from Yahoo Sports, has sent out a story that, well, let's, let's kind of go through this. Major League Baseball has reportedly, according to Jeff Passan, who is actually with ESPN now, my, my apologies, Jeff Passan has said that Major League Baseball has given the go-ahead for the Tampa Bay Rays to become a two-city team. What, like Tampa and St. Petersburg? No, no, not really. They would play half their season in Tampa Bay and half their season, you ready, in Montreal. What do you think? Now, I don't know what you become. Do you, are you the Tampa Bay Rays for half the year and the Montreal Rays? For the other half of the year? Can you be the Tampa Bay Rays for half the year and, and the Montreal Expos for the other half? Can you do that? This is kind of unprecedented. You've probably seen crowds at the Trop, which is not the most delightful place to take in a baseball game. It's an indoor stadium. Everybody says it's like a mall. The players hate it because of the lights. They lose balls in the lights when they're trying to field them. So... This this could be a solution. Now, hey, credit the Toronto Blue Jays for their role and people in Montreal for bringing the Jays to Montreal for a couple of exhibition games every year for the last little while because that has shown that there is still that appetite for baseball. Montreal has the Canadians their number one. The Alouettes seem to come and go. They return as the Concords sometimes, and then, then they leave again, and then they come back as the Alouettes. Now they're owned by the league again. 
But baseball left, and baseball left at a time when when you look back and you feel sorry for the franchise of the Montreal Expos because you had the strike in 1994 where the Montreal Expos were poised to go on and compete for the World Series. No question about it. Then you have the strike, wipes out the season. Nothing was ever the same after that. Montreal became that team that would grow players and have to trade them away because they just they couldn't keep up financially. So this is not really an ideal situation yet for Montreal, although we've heard talk of new ballpark. We've heard talk of a number of things. This would certainly kind of look to to speed that up a little bit, jumpstart that even more than it already is. But the Rays would play in new stadiums eventually in Tampa Bay and Montreal, and they haven't decided on the number of home games each city would receive. But Rob Manfred, who is the commissioner of Major League Baseball, has said it's it's a long-term project, but it's one that they're giving the go-ahead to. That's pretty wild. I mean, we haven't really seen anything like this to look at. Montreal left in, what, 2005? Moved to Washington, D.C. And became the Washington Nationals. And then you actually had a lot of the Montreal ownership move to Florida and become part of the Marlins. So it it was a weird time for baseball. This, can you think of anything else? Is there some kind of independent baseball league team that shares a team among cities? I don't know. We'll talk more about this before we close out the show. Up next, we will speak with David Hammond, professor at the University of Waterloo, about youth vaping in Canada. We've talked OSAP. Yesterday we talked about millennials and their money. (sighs) Vaping, seriously. It's it's something that, you know, is is it harmful? Is it completely harmful? Is it different than smoking? We'll look at a few of those things as well as we hit on the topic next on London Live and Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Vaping, smoking. I often believe we should have somebody walking around and anybody who's under the age of 30 who is caught smoking loses their OHIP benefits. We'll take those. Thank you very much. Joining us right now to talk about a new study that shows we've seen quite an increase in youth vaping in Canada is the lead author of that study, Dr. David Hammond from the University of Waterloo. Dr. Hammond, thanks for taking some time out for us today. My pleasure. Let's look at what you studied. Take us through what you looked at. Yeah, we uh, we looked at the differences in the youth who vaped and smoked between 2017 and 2018. And what we found is in a short 12 months, the number of kids who vaped basically doubled. Uh, and not only was it that they were trying vaping, but that uh, we saw a big increase in terms of, of like regular vaping, weekly, daily, almost daily. Uh, and so, you know, that was a massive one-year jump from what we'd seen before. Man, and what age are we looking at? 16 to 19. Um, and, you know, the first question we ask is, well, why? What happened? And a couple things happened. We had a new law in March 2018. That meant you could advertise the products in provinces like Ontario. It also meant that we had a new generation of e-cigarettes. So I don't know if your listeners have heard of Juul, but this is a product. Not only does it look really nice and sleek, they call it the iPhone of e-cigarettes, but it delivers nicotine in a way like a cigarette. Lots of nicotine, and it does it in a smooth way. And this, we think, is probably the best reason why we've seen a big increase in not just trying vaping, but doing it often. And, man, when we're talking nicotine, this this is a little different than the amount of nicotine you'd get from a cigarette, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, these things are, um, look, let me be clear. Vaping is less harmful than smoking. That does not mean that it's harmless. And so, you know, it's a highly addictive drug. Kids should not be doing this. These products might be good news for adult smokers that are trying to switch. It's bad news if you're a kid and you're trying this thing because um, it has a big whack of nicotine. It gets it to your brain really quickly, and a lot of kids uh, apparently aren't even aware that there's nicotine in there. So that's, that's one of the problems here. We are talking with Dr. David Hammond, professor at the University of Waterloo. He is the lead author on a study that has appeared in the British Medical Journal that actually looks at vaping numbers in Canada and the United States and finds a 74% increase year over year after we saw the introduction of advertising. When you look at the results of this study, they're pretty plain, they're pretty clear. What do you hope happens with this? Well, we've got to find a way of giving adult smokers access to these products in case it helps them to quit. But my goodness, we have flavors like uh, peanut butter and jam, cookie dough. My favorite is unicorn horn flavor. Um, I don't think you need those flavors for adults to use them to quit. I don't think we necessarily should advertise them and place them above the bubble gum and chocolate bars and chips in corner stores. So I think we can get them to adult smokers who might need them without turning these things into products that, you know, a 10 or 12-year-old is interested in trying. And, and that's up to Health Canada and some of the regulators to figure this market out quickly because it moves very fast. Yeah, no doubt. And no doubt it's kind of taken them by surprise. But you cannot tell me that those companies do not know exactly what they're doing. You're not marketing unicorn horn to somebody who's 45, 55, or 65, well, that's exactly it. And some of the big companies of, in other countries like the States or England said, oh, we won't offer these because of the concern that they're appealing to kids, but they're being sold in places like Canada. So, you know, I am sure they share the desire not to have kids using these things, but what matters is are they still advertising them next to the bubble gum and candy? And if they are, then I'm sorry, I can't take it seriously when they say we're not interested in uh, uh, you know, having kids see and, 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 and view these ads. Dr. Hammond, great work on getting the information out there. Thank you so much for the time. My pleasure. Take care. That's Dr. David Hammond, professor at the University of Waterloo. 74% increase in youth vaping goes hand-in-hand hand with advertising. And yet, things do move quickly, and government is not one of them. So... In order to get something done, you have to identify a problem, and then they have to create a bill, and the bill has to... But it has to go through that. At the same time, you do have to look at these numbers and say, yeah, okay, no advertising. We got Joe Camel out of the magazines. We got Winston Cup off of the NASCAR series. So why are we able to flavor these things? Unicorn horn? Give me a break. That's being advertised to young kids. You know, cookie dough. How many 65-year-olds are interested in, hey, raw cookie doughs, good in ice cream? You won't convince them of that. Kids like it. So, no, these companies know exactly what they're doing. Make the money while the sun shines? Well, here's hoping the sun's about to go down. We will take a break. We'll return with one more opportunity for you to win tickets to go and see Michelle Obama Speak in person. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. So the Tampa Bay Rays are exploring options that could see them split their games between Tampa and Montreal in the future. 
the idea, the more I look into this, is you kind of have to have new stadiums for each team. Baseball, while they've given them the permission to explore this, it's not like, hey, Montreal Expos are back, or the Montreal Rays, or the Tampa Bay Rays of Montreal. I don't know what you'd work the name as. You already have the LA Angels of Anaheim. They're going to be playing the Blue Jays again tonight. So it wouldn't be happening next April. That's not it. Don't book your tickets to Montreal just yet. But a really interesting venture. You know what it shows, ultimately? Too many games in baseball. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. Right now, we have an opportunity for you to win one more pair of tickets to go and see former First Lady Michelle Obama speak in Hamilton. An evening with former First Lady Michelle Obama, Friday, October 11th at 7 o'clock at the First Ontario Centre in Hamilton. We have one more skill testing question. And it is multiple choice, so we'll try and make it nice and easy. Phone lines are open now, 519-643-2222. Again, according to our friends, uselessdaily.com, here is the question that we have. When Michelle Obama first saw a picture, didn't even meet him in person, but first saw a picture of Barack Obama, her first impression was said to be, A, he had a big nose. B, he was a bad dresser. Or C, his hair was too long. A, he had a big nose. B, bad dresser. Or C, his hair was too long. When Michelle Obama first saw a picture of Barack Obama, her first impression of him was said to be, which one of those? Kevin, you get the first crack at this. What do you think? I'm going to go shot in the dark and guess A, Mike. You're going to go A, which is he had a big nose. You know, it's never anything I've thought about with Barack Obama, but Kevin, you're exactly right. Excellent. Thank you. Congratulations. Hang on. We'll get some information from you. You are off to see Michelle Obama. That was it. He had a big nose. She met him in person. They hit it off happily ever after, both from Chicago and Michelle Obama is going to be in Hamilton on Friday, October the 11th, an evening with former First Lady Michelle Obama. If you did not win tickets, then you can still purchase tickets. You can go to Ticketmaster.ca to get your hands on those. Ticketmaster.ca. The United States about to take on Sweden at the Women's World Cup of Soccer. The NBA draft goes tonight. Famous 59th picks in NBA history. Daryl Strawberry's son. That's about it. And he played a couple of games in the NBA. But typically when you draft somebody 59th, they're not making a massive difference. That's where the Raptors pick tonight. But the Raptors, they're still NBA champions. They had traded away their first-round pick. That's why they are not drafting earlier. But there is a Canadian in the draft. His name is R.J. Barrett. Played at Duke. Played alongside Zion Williamson. Williamson is expected to go number one overall. Then you've got a point guard named Ja Morant. And if he does well, we're going to see more people named Ja. I don't mind it. J-A. Very easy to spell. Ja Morant, he's expected to go number two to Memphis, and then R.J. Barrett would go number three to the New York Knicks. But all basketball fans are waiting to see whether or not this will be a night filled with trades and movement, and that's always the hope. And a lot of times in the NBA there is. A lot of times you'll see a team draft a player and then immediately trade him to another team. 
So I wouldn't say a lot, but that's something that does happen more so than maybe if you're watching the NHL entry draft, which will take place tomorrow night. And a little later on, you can check out globalnews.ca and 980cfpl.ca. And we've got a rundown of all of the area connections in the NHL entry draft, whether they play for the London Knights, whether they are from London or Lucan, or even in some cases have a dad who is from London and played for the London Knights. So we will have all of those listed for you so that you can get set for the start of tomorrow night's NHL entry draft, which comes up from Vancouver. Tomorrow on the show, it's Friday. We still have a lot to get to. We'll look back over the week and some of the things that have been front and center in the news world. And we didn't get much of a chance to talk about deodorant. I don't know if we'll pick that one up again. But that's that's still... Maybe not as much as, hey, the Expos could get a half a team. That's still one of the most shocking things I've seen. If you missed it earlier on London Live, 40% of young people between the ages of 18 and 34 have done away with deodorant, saying don't want to risk putting the chemicals into their bodies. Thanks so much to Kelly Wong for her help today on London Live. London Live is brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln. You can find them at 684 Warncliffe Road South. You can find Jacqueline LaBelle next with news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.